afternoon, Tri-States. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa radio reading and information service for the blind and print handicapped. Brought to you in part by DuPaco and the R.W. Hafer Foundation. This is Ken, reading from down here in Missouri, where it's going to be a nice, warm summer kind of a day for February. But I'll be reading from the... Friday, February 2nd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. And we'll begin with our first piece from page one. Proposed tax change could have significant impact locally. As a bill that would expand a federal child tax credit makes its way through Congress, Local officials said the legislation could make a profound difference for area families. The U.S. House of Representatives on Wednesday passed a roughly $79 billion tax cut package that would enhance the child tax credit for millions of lower-income families, along with other changes such as extending certain corporate tax breaks and increasing low-income housing tax credits. The bill passed with broad bipartisan support on a vote of 357 to 70 and now heads to the Senate. The bill would increase the amount of the child tax credit available as a refund up to $1,800 for 2023 returns, $1,900 for the following year, and $2,000 for 2025 tax returns. The tax credit itself also would increase along with inflation in tax years 2024 and 2025. Households benefiting as a result of the changes would see an average tax cut of $680 in the first year, according to estimates from the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center. Alex Baum, Director of Advocacy, Data and Learning at Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque, said the bill could substantially benefit the families his organization works with, even though it is more modest than a pandemic-era enhancement of the child tax credit that ended in 2021. We know that the child tax credit, the last time it was put forward, had a pretty significant impact on poverty levels, he said. It's hard to trace that exact impact locally, but we know that while the poverty rate in Dubuque had been declining pretty significantly since 2016 in this most recent census from the American Community Survey, our poverty numbers actually kicked up. So having that additional benefit for low-income families could be pretty impactful. Chris Ackman, Communications Manager for Hawkeye Area Community Action Program, said any form of financial assistance, including the expansion of the child tax credit, is beneficial for low-income families. When families read and see all the stuff about inflation and all these services getting cut left and right, it provides a lot of anxiety for them, he said. To hear something like this, it's a win for low-income families that they're at least getting something and it's not all doom and gloom. 
Baum agreed that the legislation is a positive step for families living paycheck to paycheck who are one unfortunate situation away from losing their housing, for example. I'm thinking specifically of some of the data that we've seen, which shows that a really significant proportion of our families who live below the poverty line are single mothers with kids trying to be able to exist, he said. Having the tax credit in that form is going to help with that stability. The Center on Budget and Policy Priorities estimated that the legislation would benefit about 16 million families and lift up to 400,000 children above the poverty line in its first year if passed. Still, Baum cautioned that the expansion of the child tax credit is not a one-size-fits-all solution to poverty. We're very excited about this work, but I don't see it necessarily being sufficient on its own or pulling people out of poverty, he said. Hopefully, this will be another piece of the puzzle, along with the incredible work of our partners who are doing this work on the ground. U.S. Representative Darren LaHood, Republican Illinois, voted in favor of the legislation, which includes provisions he introduced to enhance the low-income housing tax credit by increasing state allocations and reducing the credit's bond financing requirement. The Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act builds off the Historic Tax Cuts and Jobs Act to bolster the financial security of Illinois families and small businesses at a time when they need it most, the Hood said during debate on the House floor. The bill meets the needs of the American people, creating jobs, generating growth, incentivizing research and development, boosting our competitiveness with China, and cutting red tape. The bill also includes a provision to end the Employee Retention Tax Credit, a COVID-era program that has been plagued with fraud. According to the Joint Committee on Taxation, this move is expected to largely offset the cost of the tax cuts in the bill U.S. Representative Derek Van Orden Republican Wisconsin, who voted in favor of the legislation, lauded this aspect of the bill in a statement Thursday. He wrote that the bill invests in small and local businesses, supports parents and families with a child tax credit that accounts for inflation, and exercises responsible stewardship of hardworking American taxpayer dollars by cutting funding for a COVID-era spending program. U.S. Reps Ashley Hinson and Marianetta Miller-Meeks, Republican Iowa, also voted in favor of the bill, while U.S. Representative Mark Polkin, Democrat Wisconsin, voted against it. Polkin's office did not respond to a request for comment. While the measure received wide bipartisan support in the House, some House Democrats criticized the bill for not going far enough in expanding the child tax credit while some Republicans pushed back against the credit's expansion and characterized it as a form of welfare. Hinson wrote in a statement 
that the bill would help working families and small businesses who she claimed have been forced to bear the burden of the disastrous Biden economy. I will continue pursuing common-sense pro-growth tax policies that help working families keep more of their hard-earned paychecks, she wrote. Our next piece, center page with a large picture. We have a picture of a gentleman. It looks like he's working with some little hand tools on something uh, and sitting at a table with him, a smiling uh, young lady. And the caption beneath that picture uh, reads, Almost Home board member Craig Keogh and property manager Don Faust prepare letters on Wednesday to create an Almost Home sign inside the newly renovated guest house a shelter for men with children in Dubuque. And we also have a small inset picture of a nicely appointed room uh, that these people would be staying in. And that caption reads, Rooms of varying sizes are furnished and ready for use at almost home. Our article is Dubuque Shelter for Men with Children Set to Reopen. A Dubuque homeless shelter serving people it describes as an often forgotten population is set to reopen after renovations closed the facility for most of 2023. The guest house serves homeless men with children, a population that shelter leaders say has frequent trouble finding space at shelters because most facilities cater to either single men or women with children. It will be open for the first time since June when the renovations began. Dwight Turner, executive director of Almost Home, the nonprofit that operates the guest house, said the shelter, located at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church at 1276 White Street, used to have space for two families. After undergoing an extensive renovation, the shelter can now house five families. On the second floor, three-bedroom spaces with two sets of bunk beds each flank communal kitchen and bathroom spaces. There are two bedrooms on the third floor with their own shared kitchen and restroom facilities. Laundry facilities are also available. Multiple bedrooms have a separate room attached where girls, especially teenagers, can gain more privacy and have their own space. We think that that is so vital for young teenage girls who have never had a space or haven't had a space of their own while their dad was couch surfing or in and out of temporary housing or somewhere else, Turner said. Families can stay for up to three months and receive wraparound case management services during their stay, Turner said. A team of case managers can help dads get a job, build parenting skills, create a family routine, prepare meals, and more. While case managers won't dictate how men parent their kids, they will help if needed, Turner said. Turner said during his time previously working as a family support specialist, facilities like Almost Homes Guest House were hard to come by which led to fathers and children being separated. 
Quite often, if we couldn't find a family member or a fictive kin, as we call them, to take the children on temporarily, we couldn't plausibly keep a child with someone who was not able to ensure safety and shelter from them, Turner said. After a ribbon-cutting and open-house ceremony, which is scheduled from 1 to 3 p.m. on Saturday, February 4th, Turner said the shelter will start accepting clients immediately. I have a stack of referrals, essentially, that are waiting for me, Turner said. Turner said the shelter currently has four staff members, but he hopes to recruit two to three more soon. Turner said the facility is still working on becoming fully staffed. Currently, four employees are set to help run it, but Turner said he still needs two or three more to meet expected needs. The shelter also will rely on volunteers and interns from area colleges, Turner said. Shannon Contreras, an almost home case manager, said in anticipation of the shelter's reopening, she has been researching local companies' hiring policies so she can help dads get a job nearby. That way, when they do come in, if they don't have a job, I am able to give them a list of places that are within the downtown area, she said. Turner said families who stay at the guest house will also have access to Open Closet, a free clothing resource operating out of the St. John's basement. The closet spans several rooms with clothes and shoes for kids, women, and men. When families utilize the guest house, Turner said they might not come with essential hygiene supplies or clean clothes, so residents can choose whatever they need from the closet. Cindy Recker, Open Closet Coordinator, said racks of child-sized coats, shelves of blankets, snow pants, shoes, and undergarments are all available for kids staying at the guest house. A room filled with men's jeans, suits, ties, shoes, and other items of clothing is also available for men staying at the shelter. Whether a dad needs steel-toed boots or a suit for a new job, both are available to him for free. We're pretty excited about that. Just being able to welcome them in and say, okay, you need this, it's right there. It's at hand, Turner said. Our final front page piece, political parties prepare for busy election year. While early states continue to run presidential primaries elsewhere, leaders of tri-state counties' political parties are preparing for what they expect to be a busy election year for other federal offices, too. The five U.S. House districts that cover east-central Iowa, southwest Wisconsin, and northwest Illinois are all up for election this year. Of those, Iowa's first congressional district, Jackson County's district, and Wisconsin's 3rd Congressional District, Grant Counties, are expected to see competitive races in the general and potentially the primary. And Wisconsin's U.S. Senate seat, currently held by Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin, is also at stake this year. Illinois and Wisconsin also still have their presidential primary elections to finish on March 19th and April 2nd, respectively although most candidates have historically dropped out by then. 
Iowa Republican Party leaders are fresh off wrapping the state's first-in-the-nation Iowa caucuses last month, but they are already planning for the rest of the 2024 election season. The next thing we're focusing on is the county convention, Dubuque County GOP Chairman John Dara told the Telegraph Herald. That's where we decide on a county platform suggestion, which then goes to the Congressional District Convention stage. But we're already thinking about the next step, getting an office location for when campaign season really kicks into high gear. While state officials filing windows have not yet opened for candidates, most of the tri-state area's congressional incumbents and their challengers have already begun crisscrossing the area campaigning. Freshman U.S. Representative Derek Van Orden, Republican Wisconsin, recently announced his formal bid for re-election, complete with opening a campaign headquarters in Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, where he lives. Van Orden also has several would-be challengers campaigning to oust him from his seat. The National Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has targeted Wisconsin's 3rd District, which Van Orden flipped in 2022, after longtime U.S. Representative Ron Kind, a Democrat, chose not to run for re-election, as a top priority in 2024. And three Democrats are still running in their party's primary, Rebecca Cook, Wisconsin Representative Katrina Shankland, and Eric Wilson. Grant County Republicans Chairman Bill Beefer said he was reasonably optimistic for Van Orden's chances. Derek carries it pretty good in or carried it pretty good in 2022, Beefer said. Plus, he has a staff representative here who takes care of us really well and is planning some roundtable discussions around which helped him last time, and the one who is running against him didn't do too well last time. Cook, a small business owner and nonprofit leader from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, finished second in the 2022 Democratic Party primary for Wisconsin's 3rd District with 31% of the votes. She was the first Democrat in the 2024 race and leads her primary rivals in fundraising and polling. Former La Crosse, Wisconsin County Supervisor Tara Johnson had received some big-name endorsements but dropped out of the race last month. Grant County Democrats Chairwoman Joyce Boz did not respond to request for comment. Independent candidate Rustin Provence is also actively campaigning for Wisconsin's third congressional seat. In Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District, incumbent U.S. Representative Mark Pocon, Democrat Wisconsin, who represents Lafayette County, is also on the ballot this year. Two Republican candidates from 2022 again are vying to face off with Pocon, Charity Berry and Eric Olson. Wisconsin's partisan primary election is August 12th, or 13th, rather, August 13th. Right now, Beefer said Wisconsin parties are a little hesitant to drive into congressional elections, though. That is because of lawsuits being considered by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, now liable learning leaning after the 2023 election, requesting that the state's legislative districts be redrawn. 
Baldwin is running statewide, though, and campaigning widely when not in Washington. Given Wisconsin's swing state status, Baldwin has again drawn numerous potential challengers. Republicans Kyle Corrigan, Stacey Klein, and Rajani Ravindran and Patrick Schaefer-Wick are all seeking Baldwin's Senate seat. Iowa's 1st Congressional District, held by incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks, is also a top target for national and state Democrats. And former Iowa Representative Christina Bohanan, Miller-Meeks' 2022 general election opponent, is back in the fray for her party. Christina Bohanan understands the challenges working Iowa families are facing because she's lived them, and she'll be ready on her first day in Congress to deliver results, said Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chair Representative Suzanne Dalben in a release. But to get to Bohannon, Miller-Meeks also has two Republican primary challengers, David Pouch and Jennifer McAndrew Lane, to get past. Darla Chappelle chairs Jackson County GOP and told the TH that both Pouch and Miller-Meeks campaign staff attended a recent county party meeting. Some of them, local Republicans, are really upset with Marionette over past votes, the funding votes, the same-sex marriage vote that happened a while ago, Chappelle said. Both candidates received a warm welcome. So I would say it's going to be a tough race. In Iowa's 2nd Congressional District, incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson has no primary opponent, but does have a Democrat challenger already, Cedar Falls marketing professional Sarah Corkery. That's always our focus, to keep Ashley Hinson's seat secure, Dara said. There is an announced opponent, so we will be fighting hard to keep all of Iowa's delegation Republican. Dubuque County Democrats Chairman Matt Robinson did not respond to a request for comment. Iowa's U.S. Senate seats are not up for election in 2024. Iowa's partisan primary is June 4th. The only tri-state region congressional seat up in Illinois is the 16th Congressional District, Joe Davies Counties, held by incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Darren LaHood, Republican, Illinois. No other candidates are yet running. Illinois' primary is on March 19th. Now we'll turn to our opinion page, and back after a few weeks' absence is our view, the quick takes, that represent the editorial point of view from the Dubuque Telegraph Herald editorial board. And today we have three smiley faces. Number one, after two years of serving the Dubuque community, Liberty Recovery Community has filled a void in substance abuse services and has been a literal lifesaver for participants. The Sober Living Campus at 2216 White Street includes Liberty Recovery and Training Center and a housing complex. Run by nonprofit Operation Empower, 
It provides wraparound support and housing for area residents with substance use disorders and co-occurring mental health conditions. Last year, 17 residents graduated from the program and staff have helped about 30 people each year find employment. Those who have been through the program say it has been life-changing and life-saving. In 2022, Operation Empower was awarded $291,000 of Dubuque County's American Rescue Plan Act funds, but that money recently ran out and the center is running on donations. This month, Liberty Recovery kicks off a fundraising event intended to sustain services. Additionally, an open house at the center will be held from noon to 2 p.m. today to introduce the public to the facility and its residents. The program addresses a lack of local long-term recovery services and housing for people with substance use disorders and co-occurring mental health conditions, something desperately needed in this and many communities across the country. The facility leads training sessions, hosts 12-step groups, helps residents manage medications, and helps them get a job or expand their education. At its opening, Governor Kim Reynolds held it up as the kind of program Iowa needed more of. A salute to Operation Empower staff for putting in the enormous effort to make this facility a reality. May it stand as a model organization to be emulated across the state. To support fundraising efforts, go to the Operation Empower Liberty Recovery Facebook page. Our second smiley face. As the numbers of the Sisters of the Visitation dwindle to just two in Dubuque, the broader community owes a debt of gratitude to the dedicated educators who make up this order of women religious. In 1871, six sisters of the St. Louis Order of Sisters of the Visitation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, SVM, were brought to Dubuque by then Bishop John Hennessy. It was the beginning of the Visitation Order in Dubuque, which has existed for over 150 years. At its height, the order had more than 60 members who dedicated themselves as teachers and administrators at Nativity School and Academy of the Visitation, known locally as the Viz. Now, just two sisters remain. Sister Paula Malloy, 90, and Sister Patricia Clark, 87, are grateful for their life paths, their careers, the contributions they made to the community, and their collaboration with the church, particularly with the sisters of the presentation who have provided them with a home for the past few years. Like the visitation sisters that came before them, Malloy and Clark dedicated themselves to their work and both served as principals at Nativity, Malloy for five years and Clark for 12 years. For decades, Visitation Sisters served Dubuque schools and instilled Catholic values and academic rigor. A salute to the Sisters of the Visitation. Their lives of devotion and good works made our community a better place. Now our final smiley face. 
The annual Real Life Academy at Western Dubuque High School does a great job giving students a realistic look at the expenses of life, both expected and unexpected. The event, hosted by the high school, Cascade Junior Senior High School, and Dyersville Area Chamber of Commerce, has students choose a career and assigns an income and randomized life circumstances, including marital status, possible children, pets, and a credit score. If the student's job, it's the student's job to figure out how to budget based on their assigned lives. Representatives from area businesses and service organizations lend a hand and serve up a dose of reality to some participants. Every student needs a healthy dose of financial literacy. Whether life after high school takes them to community college, a four-year institution, or heading directly into the world of work, most young adults need help navigating financial decisions. A look at how young people spend and accumulate debt, from student loans to credit cards to vehicle loans or the dreaded payday lenders, bears that out. What's worse, it's not uncommon for students to have unhealthy spending attitudes and behaviors toward debt. The sooner students get smarter about personal money matters, the better for their bank statement and for their lives. Kudos to WD for giving students the, this real-life lesson. And we also have one letter to the editor. Reynolds should reconsider turning down money for summer lunches. Rochelle Friedman, Boyer Street, Dubuque. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds decided not to accept $28 million in federal money to provide children in low-income families with $40 monthly next summer for food when they do not have access to school lunches. The cost to Iowa of administering the Summer Electronic Benefit Transfer Program, EBT, would be $2.2 million, which pales in light of the benefit. Her rationale is that the program does not solve long-term problems facing low-income families and does nothing to promote nutrition. That logic lacks compassion for children and defies common sense. When families have more money for food, they tend to purchase more nutritious food, like fresh fruits and vegetables, that are more expensive than cheaper foods heavy in carbs and calories, Food Research and Action Center. As reported in the TH on January 20th, Iowa Representative Chuck Eisenhart, Democrat Dubuque, has introduced a bill HF 2042, that would direct the state to pay the $2.2 million match and an additional $700,000 for a University of Iowa study to determine if there are negative impacts from the program as suggested by Governor Reynolds. 35 states will participate in the EBT program. 15 states, all with Republican governors, will not. While food insecurity is on the rise in Iowa and food banks are struggling to meet needs, it is unacceptable that Iowa would refuse to participate in the EBT program. 
It is not too late for Governor Reynolds to reverse her decision, affecting 240,000 children in Iowa, including 5,000 in Dubuque. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. And this is Ken, and we are reading from the Friday, February 2nd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. We now turn to today's obituaries. Vincent P. Cotts, Farley, Iowa. Vincent P. Cotts, 91 of Piasta, and formerly of Farley, passed away peacefully, surrounded by his family on Tuesday, January 30th at his home in Piasta. Visitation for Vince will be held from 2 to 7 p.m. on Sunday, February 4th at the Rife Funeral Home in Farley, where a KC rosary will be held at 6.30 p.m. Visitation will also be held after 9 a.m. on Monday at the funeral home. Massive Christian burial for Vince will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Monday, February 5th at St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Farley, with Reverend Chris Podhosky presiding and assisting Deacon Nick Elliott. Burial will be held in St. Joseph's Cemetery in Farley. He was born September 29, 1932, in Worthington, Iowa, son of George and Dora Klein Cotts. He received his education in the St. Paul's Catholic School in Worthington, on June 21, 1954, he was united in marriage to Mildred Legrand at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Fillmore. She preceded him in death on December 5, 1995. Vince was later remarried on July 16, 1999 to Margaret Maggie Scholl Kircher at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church in Piasta. Vince was a member of St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Farley, Iowa. He was also a member of the Farley Knights of Columbus Council number 2001. Vince was a very kind-hearted, honest man who always found a friend in everyone he met. He was a devoted husband, father, grandfather, and great-grandfather who loved and spending his time with his family. Vince had a very strong work ethic, he worked at Dubuque Packing Company for 30 years and farmed in the rural Farley area with his son, Kenneth, until he retired. He also had a love for playing cards with family and friends, and especially his friends at Delaney's Ice Cream Shop. Patricia A. Venata, Prairie du Chien. Patricia Pat A. Venata, 76, of Prairie du Chien, died Monday, January 29th. Visitation will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. Monday, February 5th, and from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 6th, at Bible Baptist Church in Prairie du Chien, where services will follow. Burial will follow in Little Grant Cemetery in Bloomington. Thornburg Grau Funeral Home and Cremation Service of Prairie du Chien is assisting the family. Wayne R. Ellerman. Wayne R. Ellerman, 87, of Dubuque, died Wednesday, January 31st. Visitation will be held from 2 to 6 p.m. Sunday, February 4th, at Eaglehoff, Seagert, and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road. A massive Christian burial will take place at 10 a.m. Monday, February 5th, 
at Sacred Heart Catholic Church. Helen M. Potter, Lancaster, Wisconsin. Helen M. Potter, 89, of Lancaster, died on Tuesday, January 30th. Visitation will be held from 10 a.m. to noon, Monday, February 5th, at Martin Schwartz Funeral Home and Crematory in Potosi. Graveside services will follow in Van Buren Cemetery in Potosi. I see that we have no babies born that are in the paper for today, but on this page there is one piece of news in brief which I'll share. Authorities. One person injured in Dubuque County rollover crash. This comes out of Piasta. Authorities said a driver was injured in a rollover crash in Dubuque County. Matthew D. Handelman, 44, of Dubuque, was transported by ambulance to Unity Point Health Finley Hospital for treatment of his injuries, according to the Dubuque County Sheriff's Department. A report states that Handelman was driving west on US-20 near Swiss Valley Road at 6.09 a.m. Monday when his vehicle lost traction on the icy roadway, spun and entered a ditch where it rolled over and landed back on its wheels. Before I continue with our main group of news in brief pieces, we do have some Dubuque and Tri-State news. And our first piece, Makokota High School opens new brain health retreat room. A new brain health retreat room has opened at a local high school as officials continue to tout the success of rooms already operating at other schools. Makokota High School opened its brain health retreat room last month. Students can come to the room for short periods during the school day to meet with a staff member and work through emotions or stressful situations. It's been very good for drop-ins so far, said Jessica Pape, brain health liaison for the room. I feel like kids are interested in the space and they come and check it out very often. Makokota High School is the eighth local school to receive a brain health retreat room designed and funded by local nonprofit Brain Health Now. Over the past two years, the organization has sponsored rooms at Dubuque Senior High School, Dubuque Hempstead High School, Dubuque Community School District's Alta Vista Campus, Wallard Catholic High School, West Delaware High School, Southwestern Wisconsin High School, and Potosi Wisconsin High School, along with Ames, Iowa High School. Brain Health Now founder Debbie Butler said data about the room's usage has shown their impact to be wonderful for staff and students. There was a point where one of the schools had 65 kids a day going into the room, she said. It's not a place for children to go to counseling sessions. It's a place to learn strategies to quickly de-escalate and self-regulate and then go back and be able to concentrate in the classroom. Dubuque District officials said this week that across the three brain health schools at Senior Hempstead and the Alta Vista campus, there were 5,644 visits by 809 unique students between the start of school in August through December 22nd, the last day before winter break. In Makokota, Pape said the brain health retreat room is furnished with comfortable seats, weighted blankets, dim lights, and activities from fidget toys and kinetic sand to coloring books and puzzles. Students are expected to visit the room for a brief period, about 15 minutes to 20 minutes in most cases, and PAPE is available to meet with them if they need help processing a situation or emotion. 
A lot of the things that students are doing in the brain health room are grounding techniques or strategies that they can do in our office and often do, said Maconkara High School counselor Amanda DeWolf. The biggest difference in the brain health retreat room is that Jessica, as the brain health liaison, will always be present in the room to work with them. If students need additional support beyond what the room can provide, Pape works with DeWolf and her fellow counselor, Demi Adrian, to refer them to appropriate resources. The students are our primary focus, but the faculty and staff are using them as well, and we encourage that. She said, anxiety, depression, and anxiousness is not just among our youth. It's among all of us. And another piece we have from the tri-state area coming from Dyersville. Local students reflect on trip to March for Life. Two local 8th grade students attended the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C. last month, along with 60 students from seven different Catholic schools across Iowa. Maya Pitts and Lily Womer are students at Beckman Catholic High School in Dyersville, which previously has sent groups of students and families to the march through Dubuque County Right to Life. According to Beckman principal Marcel Kilkuki, this traditional January trip was put on hold this year by Right to Life as officials work to arrange a trip to a new march planned for June. After COVID and the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, Dubuque County Right to Life has been in discussions about whether to continue to sponsor a trip in January for the March for Life, Kilcookie said. They did in 2023, but this year they have decided to sponsor a trip in June instead to celebrate the Dobbs decision as there are events planned surrounding that. With June being a busy month for Pitts and Woolmer, the girls decided to find a way to attend March for Life last month. They found a ride with Pulse, life advocates out of Des Moines. The girls were the last passengers to be picked up on the two buses, which had already collected students from seven other Catholic schools across the state. Pitts said they left on the bus at 8 p.m., driving straight through the night. It was very interesting, Pitts said. It was long, but we got to meet a bunch of different people. Wilmer added, it was a great experience, especially on the bus, because there were people from all around Iowa, and we all had a common goal, interests and beliefs. Just being there with everyone, praying with them, doing the rosary together, and just connecting with them was really cool for me. While in Washington, D.C., Pitts and Wilmer visited the National Archives and explored the monuments, but the core of their trip was the Rally for Life, March for Life, and Life Fest, which was held at the National Guard Armory the morning of the rally and featured speakers, music, and mass. It was very surreal, said Womer. You had this whole big crowd you couldn't see the end of with so many people packed in. There were TV plasma screens on the front with a bunch of different people having speeches. There were famous movie directors and sports people. It was really cool to see everyone joining together for one reason. Wilmer described one particularly powerful moment passing a series of TVs with graphic pictures of aborted babies. It was super graphic and scary, but it helped me solidify how I feel about abortion. 
Just seeing it, you can see it's bad, Wilmer said. Pitt said, we shouldn't be able to take away someone's life like that when there are so many options like adoption. Life is the one right everyone should have. Both girls said they plan to attend the march again in a few years and recommend it as an eye-opening experience that helped them see their faith in action. For anyone interested in attending the June trip, sponsored by Dubuque County Right to Life, informational meetings will be held at 7 p.m. on February 12th at the organization's Dubuque office, 2205 Carter Road, and at 7 p.m. on February 21st at Beckman Catholic. And this piece had a lovely picture, very colorful picture of young people holding up love, life, choose life signs in green and white and other signs I can't read, but in multiple colors. And the caption beneath it has Lily Warmer, she's holding a pink sign, and Myra Pitts holding a yellow sign, stand with students from several different Iowa Catholic schools last month at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And we have one more Dubuque Tri-State piece. Black Hills subsidiary purchased Dubuque Renewable Natural Gas Facility. A renewable natural gas production facility in Dubuque is under new ownership. Black Hills Corporation announced Thursday that its subsidiary, Black Hills Energy Renewable Resources, B-H-E-R-R, L-L-C, purchased the facility. It was formerly operated by Dubuque Gas Producers, LLC, and was under the ownership umbrella of a landfill gas conglomerate based in North Carolina. The facility captures and converts the methane produced at the Dubuque Metropolitan Area Solid Waste Agency landfill into usable natural gas. The methane gas produced by the landfill is captured by about 60 gas wells and transferred to the facility, which is located off of Airborne Road, to be processed and cleaned. Then it can be inserted into Black Hills Energy Pipelines to be used as renewable natural gas. Currently, the facility produces enough renewable natural gas to heat over 1,800 homes annually. Ken Miller, Solid Waste Agency Administrator for DMASWA, that would be our landfill, said the sale was months in the making and the agency's board of directors signed off on the sale and transfer of the facility agreement in January. Miller said the agreement will remain the same, including the 3.5% cut the agency gets from all gas sale revenue and the $10,000 annual licensing fee that Black Hills will now pay DMASWA for use of the property. Miller also said the two staff members who work at the facility will remain there. Nothing changes for the agency at all other than the checks we get now will come from Black Hills Renewable instead of from the debut gas producers, Miller said. Nicole Breitbach, Black Hills Energy Senior Community Affairs Manager, said in an emailed statement that the facility's operations will remain the same, though BHERR will increase production as more gas from the landfill becomes available. 
She said the purchase of BHERR's first renewable gas production facility shows the company's commitment for renewable energy. We believe natural gas is a critical source of energy that will continue to play a vital role in our energy transition, she said in the state. The natural gas produced by the facility is purchased by a third-party gas marketer who, she said, transports it to its customers using the Black Hills Energy Pipeline system in Dubuque. Now we'll turn to our pieces of news in brief. Landlord sentenced for fraudulent reception of rental assistance funds. A Dubuque landlord was sentenced to two to five years of probation for fraudulently receiving thousands of dollars in state rental assistance funds. Brian T. Brandel, 55, recently received the deferred judgment from Iowa District Court Judge Monica Zerini Ackley in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County after pleading guilty to a charge of first-degree fraudulent practice. With a deferred judgment, the record of the case will be expunged if all probation obligations are met. Court documents state that Brandel, the owner and landlord of 2415 Jackson Street, a single-family residence, and 1913 Jackson Street, a multi-unit apartment building, submitted four fraudulent applications to Iowa Finance Authority to become eligible for rental assistance funds from the Iowa Rent and Utility Assistance Program from August to December 2021. Brandall misrepresented the identity of his tenants, rental arrears amounts, and months owed, while also certifying that the information he was providing was true and correct, documents state. Brandall fraudulently applied for approximately $25,675 in funds, documents state. Three of the applications were approved, and Brandall received $15,467, one application was denied. Local nonprofit announces adjusted dates for honor flights. A local nonprofit has announced updated dates for a pair of flights this spring to take military veterans on a day long visit to Washington, D.C. memorials. Honor Flight of Dubuque and the Tri States has scheduled its flights for May 13 and 14, a press release states. The organization currently is assessing veteran applications, and those selected for the flights will be notified soon. The flights previously were scheduled for May 20 and 21, but were moved due to a scheduling conflict. Veterans of World War II are given priority, followed by those serving in the Korean War, Cold War, and Vietnam War, though anyone that wore a uniform is invited to participate, the release states. Terminally ill veterans from any war are given top priority. Check donations can be sent to Honor Flight of Dubuque and the Tri-States, care of Dutrac Community Credit Union, P.O. Box 3250, Dubuque, Iowa, 52004-3250. Man sentenced to 10 years in prison for sexual abuse of minor. A Dubuque man has been sentenced to 10 years in prison for sexually abusing a minor. Richard A. Wells, 58, recently received the sentence from Iowa District Court Judge Monica Zerinri Ackley in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County 
after pleading guilty to one count of third-degree sexual abuse. As part of a plea deal, two counts of second-degree sexual abuse and two counts of lascivious acts with a child were dismissed. Court documents state that Wells repeatedly sexually abused an underage girl over a span of seven years. The abuse was reported in August 2021. Manchester resident wins $50,000 in the Iowa Lottery Prize from Manchester. A Delaware County man has won a $50,000 lottery prize. Raymond Bryant of Manchester won the 32nd top prize in the Iowa Lottery's $50,000 Super Crossword Scratch Game, according to a press release. The release states that Bryant purchased his winning ticket at Quickstar, 1000 West Main Street in Manchester. He claimed his prize January 26th at the Lottery's Cedar Rapids Regional Office. The $50,000 Super Scratch Super Crossword is a $5 scratch game that features 105 top prizes of $50,000 and overall odds of 1 in 3.26. Thaw delays event on snow sculpting. The annual Dubuque Snow Sculpting Competition has been postponed due to warmer than usual weather. You're having it up there too, like we are down here in Missouri. The 2024 Winter Arts Snow Sculpting Festival has been rescheduled for February 15th through February 18th at Washington Square. It was pushed back one week, according to a city news release. The event is hosted by the Dubuque Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs and Dubuque Museum of Art and will include live snow sculpting by both professional and amateur teams. Teams this year are encouraged, but not required, to design snow sculptures inspired by the theme of love. Teams will begin sculpting on February 15th, and the public is invited to watch their progress through February 18th. Community activities and voting for a People's Choice Award will start at noon Sunday, February 18th. Winners will be announced at 4 p.m. Visitors will have the chance to create their own snow sculpture in a specially designed area. More information is available online at dbqart.org. Lecture to cover the 1984 Clark Blaze. An upcoming lecture at Clark University will commemorate the 40th anniversary of a historic fire at the school. Professor Emeritus Norm Freund will present Clark Lives, the story of the 1984 fire as part of the Mackin Melander Lecture Series at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, February 7th in Janssen Music Hall, according to a press release. The fire, which happened on May 17, 1984, destroyed four historic buildings and resulted in $15 million worth of damage to Clark's campus. The lecture is free and open to the public. Now we have our weekend buzz, the noteworthy things to do this weekend in the tri-states. The Resistors Today, Mississippi Moon Bar, 301 Bell Street, 8 p.m. The Resistors specialize in blues-based roadhouse-style music. You've got to be over 21 to attend. Mission is free. Dubuque New Vehicle Auto Show today through Sunday, Grand River Center, 500 Bell Street. Today, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., 
10 a.m. to 7 p.m. tomorrow, and noon to 4 p.m. on Sunday. Various area dealers will present new vehicle makes and models. Admission is free. Woodworking with Invasives, Saturday, E.B. Lyons Nature Center, 11 to 1.30 p.m., 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. After gathering invasive buckthorn around the Nature Center, attendees will learn how to design and carve their own walking sticks from the wood. Suggested for ages 12 and over. Please bring your own work gloves. Admission $10 per person. Winter Cabaret, Saturday, Stephens Hall, Charles and Ramona Myers Center, University of Dubuque, 2000 University Avenue. 3 p.m., the University of Dubuque's Department of Fine and Performing Arts presents modern pop and musical theater performances directed by department head Kristen Eby. Proceeds from the event will support the UD Chamber Choir and Singers Tour. Admission is free. Donations are welcome. Comedy for a Cause with Heath Harmison. Saturday, Delaware County Fairgrounds in Manchester, 6 to 9 p.m. The fundraiser will boost regional medical center's CT scan equipment. Mission, $40 per person, $300 for a table of eight. Tickets are available and, and more information from tinyurl.com slash comedy cause. Fool House, Saturday, Mississippi Moon Bar on Bell Street, 8 p.m. The 90s dance tribute pays homage to boy bands, pop stars, hip-hop, and pop-punk. Must be 21 and over to attend. Admission, $15 to $20 a person. Price increase by $5 on the day of the show. Booths and tables are also available. The Pork Tornadoes presented by Q Casino, Saturday, Five Flags Arena, 8 p.m., the Midwestern Party Band's repertoire boasts an eclectic mixture of mashups of songs spanning five decades. Admission $20 to $50 a person, excluding the fees.